But you know I'm a big fan of enjoying life while still being smart financially. That's why I love ButcherBox. I can get a variety of high-quality meat, seafood, chicken, and pork at an amazing value, all with exclusive member deals delivered to my door with free shipping always. One thing I just never wanted to cut out of my spending plan is eating good food. And with ButcherBox, I don't have to, and neither do you. Where else can you get free protein for a whole year? Yes, you heard that right. One of my favorite go-to dinners is a salmon bowl. I'm not even a huge salmon lover, but ButcherBox's wild-caught salmon is oh so good. I make a nice little marinade, saute some veggies, cook the salmon, and throw in some weiss. And it is an amazing dinner. If you want to take less trips to the grocery store and always have prepared meat in the freezer for a lot less money, you need ButcherBox in your life. Sign up at butcherbox.com etm and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. You can choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com etm. I'm going to be real with you. Identity theft is on the rise, and you do not want to wake up one morning and discover that your bank account has been emptied, or you're overdue on credit cards you never even applied for. We talk about this often on the podcast, but you don't realize how much of your information is available to scammers on the internet and how susceptible you and your family are to identity theft and fraud. I know, it's scary, but now you can get your data removed with Delete Me. That's why I personally choose Delete Me. Delete Me is a subscription service that removes your personal information from the largest people search databases on the web and in the process helps prevent potential ID theft, doxing, and phishing scams. I just started using Delete Me and I got my regular personalized privacy report. <laughs> I was shocked what they found and removed. It was pages of information about me that I did not want online. Here's how it works. You sign up and provide Delete Me with exactly what information you want deleted, and their experts take it from there. I cannot tell you how relieved I felt to have Delete Me. And you know, it's also a great service for your parents or grandparents to help protect them from identity theft. Delete Me is not just a one-time service. Delete Me is always working for you, constantly monitoring and removing the personal information you do not want on the internet. Take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me, now at a special price for my listeners. Today, get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com etm and use promo code etm at checkout. The only way you get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com etm and enter code etm at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash E-T-M. Go to joindeleteme.com slash E-T-M and use code E-T-M for 20% off. Shauna here. Welcome to this little corner. I call everyone's talking money. This episode, my friend, this is one that will feel like a kick in the gut, but for all of the right reasons. So we're talking money myths that have gotten you here and how you need to change them with Whitney and Ellis. (music) 
Welcome to Everyone's Talking Money Podcast. I'm your host, Shauna Game. There's no judgment, no dumb questions, just smart conversations about you and your money. So come on in and grab a seat. Everyone is welcome here. Let's just imagine a girl. Her name's Sally. She's an executive assistant. She makes $50,000. And she walks around thinking, "Uh, I'm not very rich. Mm, I'm not doing very well financially because I'm not making six figures like my boss. But she's really good with money. She puts money away. She has an apartment that she rents, car that's paid off. She always maxes out her 401k. She saves things. Well, if we actually look at the results of all this behavior, she may be making $50,000, but she in fact has a net worth of $30,000 in the green. Let's be real. There are a lot of money myths that you have let permeate your life and just they just no longer work for you. Like the example that our guest Whitney, a life coach, author of the soon-to-be-released book, Bougie to Broke and creator of the Money Reset Program was just talking about. You know that belief that you have to make six figures to be wealthy, to have arrived, whatever you want to call it. I mean, seriously? Like, I believed this BS. I believed this for so long in my 20s that it actually held me back from making career choices that, you know, probably would have been better off for me. So we're going to burn down that myth in this episode and so many other big money myths like a traditional blowout wedding worth, is that actually worth the cost? And why the American dream is the biggest money myth that so many other beliefs have spawned off from. So buckle up and get ready for an episode that will ask you to just check your money beliefs at the door and welcome a new way to think about money. Let's start talking. Talking about a fun subject, money myths. And I know that, you know, I'm going to be brutally honest throughout this episode because I have fallen into believing so many money myths myself. And I think that's what leads me to believe that probably everyone listening is in the same place. And I think the interesting thing about money myths is that sometimes we don't know that there's a false money belief or a money myth that's kind of you know, in there and playing around with how we're saving and spending money and getting in the way of us achieving our goals. But it's there. It's lurking. It's kind of hanging in the shadows. And so we're going to talk about we're going to talk about a lot of those. But I want to start with with this one. I think this is a great place to start. So you believe that, you know, the American dream that we are all sold from childhood is is probably the biggest money myth. And it's a money myth that you say, like so many other money myths just kind of spawn from that one. And it really measures our lives and our, you know, kind of quote unquote success. And it's it's harming us, like believing this American dream idea. So tell us, you know, what is wrong with this myth? What's wrong with the American dream? Oh, this is such a good question to start with. I love that we're starting strong here. So for me, I feel like the American dream is, well, let's define it first. In a lot of ways, people see it as you do good in school, you go to college, you get a job, you work really hard, you climb up that ladder, you get that financial success, 
and you ultimately have the ability to buy a house and car and have kids. This is how I like to define the American dream in this way. Now, the American dream can mean many things for many people, especially like immigrants who come here and they want to achieve something. So it has a lot of meaning for people. But I'm focusing on this sort of materialistic point of view of what we can achieve and that metrics that we measure our financial life by. And we walk around, whether we consciously or unconsciously know it, with this pressure, this pressure to fulfill the American dream. And if we don't, if we don't meet those metrics at certain points in our lives, we begin to feel like a failure, that we're not meeting up to the certain standard, that we're losers. I mean, this is how we feel deep down inside, right? I mean, it's this unknowing pressure that's behind us. It's always lurking behind us with every decision we make. and. Why we have this myth with us? Why does the American dream walk around with us? It's got a long history. I mean, from 1776, the idea of like liberty, life, liberty, and happiness. But that all turned as like the 50s came around and there was abundance. And the idea, let's buy a house, let's buy a car. TVs got into people's lives and they were wanted like more, more, more. And then it became about having more. Well, when is enough enough? You know, and that is a so, good question. <laughs> exactly. And I feel like even as millennials, you know, we've been kind of handed a, <laughs> a crap deck of cards, if you will say, where our American dream has been really a struggle. I mean, we graduated from college. Some of us, there's a big bailout. We are in our high earn coming year, earning years and like be able to buy a house. And then the pandemic hits. And things really got funky. And now we're facing inflation and all these things as a generation. For us, it's like, what is this American dream that we're talking about? And Bernie Sanders, sorry, I was going to say Bernie Sanders says that like, it's a, a, a nightmare for some people. And I think that's true for a lot of people. You have the stat, I, I'm not going to be able to quote it sure. exactly, but you have the stat that millennials are you know, the most, like you said, the most educated generation really set up, like have access to a lot of information, uh, especially around money, but is the generation that is falling behind that, that really isn't prepared, that is, that is struggling. And I think that's really interesting kind of dichotomy to, to explore and, and think about like, why is that happening? Mm-hmm. Why is it happening? I mean, so the quote you're talking about is the fact that not only do millennials have $27,000 worth of debt, which is insane, um, that they're carrying around with them. But yes, they are the most educated generation with the most financial wherewithal, but yet we're falling terribly behind. And I think a lot of it is because we were sold on the American dream and we invested our money and our time into it. And we didn't get a return on our investment. (laughs) (laughs) So I, I, you know, the question I ponder is, and you might not have an answer to this, but I think it would just be interesting to to talk about a little bit. How do we create something different? Like how do we create an authentic life where we are spending saving in a way that moves us, you know, towards our values or towards what we want? Not all the time, but you know, maybe 80% of the time. Like how do we how do we debunk that American dream myth and, and just create something for ourselves that feels a little bit better? 
Yeah, that's a, I love that question. It's such a powerful question because that's really what I'm focused on talking about today is we can believe these money myths in these stories, whether that's the American dream or something else. And we can find out they are not true. They are actually lies sometimes. And we can decide what do we want our story to look like and choose it from a place of deep down in ourselves. What is it we actually want? What is it we actually desire? What is the story and the life we want to build? Not based on the American dream, but choosing our own unique path. And some of that is recognizing that these myths are not true and that we don't have to live by them. We have a choice to let them go. But we must begin with being aware that they even exist in the first place. And I think you mentioned that earlier. It's like, we're walking around. It's like so deeply embedded <laughs> and enculturated in us, you know, that we don't even notice that they're there. But the first step, step in change is awareness and becoming aware that they exist, that we may be believing them, and that it's up to us to decide whether we're going to allow that belief to guide us or not. And choosing ourselves and our story over a story that was given to us and often passed down to us. So you've got these these ten myths that we're gonna we're gonna talk about a lot of them, and I know you've got a couple of your favorites, but I want to talk about two of of my favorites that really sort of stood out to me. Uh, one is this idea that making a six figure income means that you're rich, and I know that from working with clients for years, you know, sitting across like diving into their money and their finances, and there were a lot of people that were making. Oh, what we would consider a lot of money, and they were not very well off financially. They were probably living very much paycheck to paycheck. They just had a lot of stuff to kind of, you know, show. I guess you would say for that income, but really, uh, you know, when the shit hit the fan, like there was just there's not going to be anything there. And then, you know, I would work with people who were who were just out of college or like in their you know late twenties, early thirties, and they weren't making that much money, but they were really you know doing well with. With their with their money, but I think this is really interesting. Like especially on social media, you see it touted a lot of times. You know, like do X, Y, and Z, and you'll get to a six figure income or a seven figure income. And I laugh at it because I'm like, yes, that's great. But there's a whole other side of of that story. You know, I think it's it's not necessarily about how much you make. It's about how much uh, you spend and in what you're doing with that. So. You know, how do we get off this treadmill of thinking that the six-figure income is like the end-all be-all? Oh my gosh. I so love that you picked this one as your top one because it's one of my favorite ones to debunk because I feel like it's such a lie. And people walk around believing this six-figure income. It's what they're supposed to achieve. They cannot wait to make six figures so that they can... A, say that in a statement. I made six figures and feel really good about themselves. <laughs> and... um it's such a lie. It's such a story. So I actually, to prepare for my time with you, I really came up with two scenarios that I think will help people really understand why this is not the full story. One, let's just imagine a girl. Her name's Sally. She's an executive assistant. She makes $50,000. And she walks around thinking, uh, I'm not very rich. Mm, I'm not doing very well financially because I'm not making six figures like my boss. And, but she's really good with money. She puts money away. She has an apartment that she rents, she, car that's paid off. She always maxes out her 401k. 
she saves things. Well, if we actually look at the results of all this behavior, she may be making $50,000, but she in fact has a net worth of $30,000 in the green. Whereas Martha, her boss that she is so jealous of, that's making this six-figure income. If we look at her, she thinks, oh, I'm making six figures. I'm doing so well. I need to keep up and keep up with this lifestyle that's that lives up to my six-figure income. And she buys things on credit card, nice new outfits. She leases a car. She just bought a house. And when you look at the results of all that, this belief, oh, I've got all this money, I'm entitled to live a six-figure life, well, her results are actually the fact she's making $120,000, but she's negative $50,000 in net worth. She's in the red. So this is, this is how we flip the script on this, is realizing let's not focus on the salary, but we need to focus on building our net worth. That's... The true story is the net worth and what you're capable of building no matter what position you're in. And I feel like that is the biggest lie is like, oh, salary. Let's just look at the salary. It's the net worth. That's where financial health comes from. And anybody can build it as long as they're willing to invest in assets and to be really smart with their money. And I just want to say for everyone listening, I know it's so easy to fall into the trap of wanting the the big number for your for your salary and and thinking you know once you hit this this number like this is the number where things are going to change and then this is the number because I do this myself so I know that this is just human nature mm-hmm. and we live in a very like scarcity driven society and so we walk around feeling like there's never enough we never we're mm-hmm. never going to make enough we're never going to do enough like you know this is just it's it's beaten into us through media and mm-hmm. It's just kind of how, unfortunately, our society works, which I think takes us back to this idea of American dream that is mm-hmm. is false and doesn't really serve us. And so, you know, just for anyone listening, like, I, it's hard. Like, this is hard work. It's hard to, you know, maybe you'll have one minute where you're like, yeah, okay, I know my salary, you know, it do- doesn't define my net worth. And then, then the next minute you find yourself, you know, trying to strive for that bigger number. And so it's, you know, it's, it's this interesting, right, what relationship that I talk about, like trying to figure out this place where maybe both can exist, but maybe in a little healthier way, I guess. Yeah, I love that you bring that up because we're all, you know, guilty of looking for that six figure number or that seven figure number for really aiming. And there's actually well, let's go eight figures. Yeah, I love it. Let's go eight. <laughs> Why not? Especially ladies, aim for the eight. Um, but uh, I love that you bring that up because it's true. We still are striving and there's nothing wrong with striving, but focus on building your net worth and your self-worth. I think that's the other element that we really have to address here too, is building up how you feel about yourself, how you feel about your ability to make money, how you feel about your contribution to the world and what you can do. Because that's really where change happens is what you're thinking and feeling about yourself, whether you're making 50,000 or 120,000. If you can focus on building your self-worth and your net worth, you can really create something really amazing for yourself. Okay, friend, I want to know, what are your money goals this year? Are you saving to buy a house or maybe a wedding or a dream vacation to somewhere tropical? If that's you, please, please take me with you. Or maybe you want to just grow your emergency fund because let's be real, life is expensive. 
I want to make sure you reach your goals, so you need Monarch. That's why the Wall Street Journal named it the best app for growing your savings. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You can create custom budgets, track progress towards your financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com etm. Here's what I love. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. You can change the layout of your dashboard. You can go between light and dark mode. You can create custom budgets and notifications. You can set up all of these automatic rules for your transactions and notifications and so much more. Monarch is obsessed with constantly improving their product. Get this. They release updates every two weeks, and they even allow customers to submit suggestions, vote on requested features, and view the product roadmap. This, my friend, is totally original. Plus, they will never sell your data to third party or show you ads. I think that's really important. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it is the top-rated personal finance app. And now, listeners of this show get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash etm. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash etm for your extended 30-day free trial. The weather is getting warmer. I'm so excited, and it is time to say goodbye to all those jackets and sweaters and hello to the shorts and t-shirts. I wanted to update my summer workout wardrobe for the long haul without, you know, spending a fortune. Luckily, I found Quince and I am in love. Quince is your go-to place from everything from premium European linen dresses, blouses and shorts from $30, washable silk tops, timeless, 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. The best part of all, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes those savings on to you. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. I love that. Okay, I bought the dreamiest pair of workout leggings and a bright pink workout top to match. Honestly, ladies, I gotta tell you, these leggings you need. The price cannot be beat, and I feel like a million bucks wearing this cozy workout friendly outfit. I've worn it for like five days straight. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash etm for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's q-u-i-n-c-e dot com slash etm to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash etm. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I was paying for vacations all wrong. <laughs> I was missing out on miles. I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? I don't know, maybe that fancy hotel upgrade that you have always been dreaming about. Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. 
finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. All right, Whitney, I want to talk about another personal favorite. This is my my second personal favorite. And I know this might ruffle some feathers, but it's um it's that a traditional wedding is worth the cost. And I know, you know, there's definitely some people who are gonna be like, what? <laughs> But you know the average the average cost of a wedding. I looked this up in 2022 was around thirty thousand dollars, which to me feels like a lot of money. Uh, I think there's a lot you can do with that kind of cash. You know, if we if we were visual here um, instead of an audio podcast, I could quickly show you how we could turn thirty thousand dollars into a lot of money, whether we're investing it or buying investment property, or whatever. But you know, I think for for me, my wedding it cost around. Probably around three or four thousand dollars, dress included. It was really unique. We had a pizza truck. We had, you know, friends made cocktails. Um, it was just a, it was a really unique experience. And so many of our guests were like, "That was the best wedding I had ever been to." And so, you know, I think especially as women, like we grow up thinking that this this day this day has to be perfect, whatever whatever that means, and that we also have to spend a lot of money in order to achieve that perfection and. You know, I'm not saying there's nothing wrong with with spending a lot of money on your wedding if that's if that's what you want to do and that is what makes you feel great. I think there's just maybe like a pause button on on thinking about that um a little bit differently. And and one more thing I would just say that we um my husband and I we actually did a pre-honeymoon. We actually went to Paris before we got married. And um we probably spent more money on that because that was the experience that we really wanted to enjoy than we did on the wedding. But, you know, all in, I think we were, I don't know, maybe $6,000 for both things, and which is still a lot of money, right? So I, I, I just find this one really interesting. Like, tell me, tell me about, like, how do we put this one in perspective? Oh my gosh. Again, I so love that you brought up my second favorite one on the list because this one's real personal for me. I love that you shared your story. I'm also sincerely impressed that you spent six thousand dollars so way to go i i didn't know that was possible um <laughs> I'm, I'm a little crazy with, with numbers so you know and and, and resourcefulness <laughs> i love it um so i know that i recognize that this one's really gonna ruffle feathers i don't know what it is about weddings but people have like really strong stances on weddings so i know that some people are gonna be all for having the big wedding and other people are not but Let's just talk about, I feel like this is a money myth that's wrapped in another myth. So there's the myth of the woman who like is swept away and gets married and lives happily ever after, after her wedding day, right? You know, the fairy tale, Cinderella. It's charming. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And that pressure is so high for women that they have to like live out this Cinderella dream with the perfect dress, the perfect, I mean, I guess it's the one day they get to feel like a queen or a princess. This I never really whatever that feels like. <laughs> this I never understood. I feel like a queen is ruling your money, but whatever. <laughs> um, so there's like two myths wrapped up in this. The myth of Cinderella, let's get married happily ever after. And then the myth that weddings are worth the cost. That this one big day, some reason we can justify this cost. It, you know, people a lot of the times they say, Oh, it's it's our one big day. So that's how they justify it. This is mind-boggling to me. You would say this about no other day of your life other than your wedding day, right? So, so what the wedding the dress is $10,000. It's the one day. So, I find this very strange and I think a lot of it just is societal pressure, the belief that this is 
This is how you do things. You have to present your family to society. You have to be presented to society that you're doing well. It's more than just about the bride and groom, really, in a lot of ways. And there's pressure from family. There's pressure from society. And then there's self-imposed pressure that women put on themselves about fulfilling the Cinderella dream. And so they say, oh, this one big day. Oh, it's okay. We c- it's worth the cost. This is worth it. But what happens is, like you said, it costs $30,000. I looked up the salary of an average person, $55,000. Okay, so we're talking about a couple who might be making a hundred something thousand dollars is going to now fork over $30,000 for a wedding. How, I mean, when I began to do the search and look for my venue, I was like, how are all these people doing this? This is so much money and the weight and the pressure that I personally felt. So I just recently got engaged like two years ago. Thank you. And I remember this myth really felt so heavy on me. That I, I was like, how are people doing this? Is this a secret? Like, we're how are we affording this? All these people. Well, actually, forty five percent of people go in debt for it, for the dream. And so, how do we flip the script? We remind ourselves that this is about the marriage, and not one day, and not one wedding. And we choose what is right for us. You chose what was right for you. Pizza truck. That was right for you. Anybody else can do that. Now, I know there's family pressure, so that's a separate part. And I just want to briefly touch on that, which is a lot of couples are paying for weddings themselves in the modern way, because guess what? Their parents can't afford it, even though they're pressuring them to do it. And then this whole idea that the father pays. I find this fascinating because it was expected my father was going to pay and he can't. He just retired. It's not his thing. Well, I looked into this. It comes from the dowry. This whole archaic thing where the woman was unable to work and to do all these things and make money. So the dad had to pay a dowry to essentially justify the cost. So this is where this comes from. This old idea (laughs) that fathers have to pay for these weddings. And we've just carried it along all the way, right? All the way. And the pressure is so high. And, you know, during my venue searching, I discovered you say wedding. Oh, yeah. Instantly, like 20% add on cost. Yeah, Yeah. it's like 30%. And they're like, oh, by the way, it it costs money to cut the cake. It costs money for napkins. And no matter how many times I, when we were doing the venue searching, we crunched the numbers. I'm like, this thing is, first of all, I think 30,000 is a low number. I Uh, think so too. It ends up being like 60000 And for us, we realized at the end of the day, we wanted to just get married and be with each other. And we wanted it to be romantic. And we're actually getting married in Ireland, um, a micro wedding. And it's going to cost under $20,000. It's probably going to be about fifteen. I budgeted for it. But that was the right choice for us. But the thing is, family definitely pressed against us. So that's the part that's very hard with this particular money myth is you've got other people involved. Yeah, and I think, you know, it's it's tough when you're when you're balancing both things. We're we're going to a wedding, a family wedding in September, and um the bride said to um the mother-in-law who was actually going to be officiating the wedding, like how many how many dresses do you have for the day? And she's like, "Dresses? I mean, one because I mean, we're only going to one wedding, right?" <laughs> 
And the bride was like, well, I mean, you might want to have like two or three dresses to choose from. And she was like, two or three dresses, you know? And so I think it's just really interesting, the the dynamics that kind of play into, into wedding. And I, I like your advice about, you know, just figuring out, I mean, all of these money myths, right, that we're talking about, it's mm. just figuring out what works for you, like taking a moment, being a bit mindful and thinking about what is it that truly works for you, that works for your budget, that works for your situation. And I think, you know, that that's, that's something that we don't do a lot. Like we don't take a lot of those pause moments. And I want to, I want to talk a little bit about, about your money story. You've been really transparent. Um, you're writing about it in, in your new book. And you say that, that like three years ago, you really hit this, this place, this like financial rock bottom. And you decided that you no longer wanted to be broke and you, you just really wanted to change things. You wanted to change your money story. And I think that's something that we can all really relate to. You know, tell us about this this rock bottom. Like, wh- what did it look like for you? Yeah, rock bottom. And it was like rock bottom number three. <laughs> you know, it was like I had had other <laughs> financial problems before, but this one was like the biggest one. So the pandemic hit, and I know that was rock bottom, and it shook a lot of people. I mean, 25 million people were unemployed during that time. And I was working as a TV producer and production just like came to a grinding halt. And, um, you know, my savings dwindled as I kind of got through the months and I felt very lost and confused and afraid and broken, broken. I mean, I felt like I had done all these right things and suddenly I'm finding myself like with this bank account that was terrifying and no job and had no idea what I was going to do. And it was winter and I remember just sitting on the beach looking out at this lighthouse across the water, just begging like some sort of other power, the universe, God, I don't know, this lighthouse, anything, anything, you know, and I just said, help. Like, how do I, how do I get out of this? And I heard nothing back, you know, radio silence. I, I was really expecting an answer. I was like, I really like, I hope this answer comes to me. And then it was like, okay, nobody's gonna save you, Whitney. You're gonna have to save yourself. You got yourself here. And so that's a really big part for me to focus on is financial responsibility. I felt like that was the moment I said, I'm 100% the reason why I got here. Now, maybe things happen, the economy, the pandemic, but I can now change my story. And that day, I literally drew a line in the sand and stood out at the ocean. And I said, no more. I'm not going to be broke anymore. I'm going to learn everything I can about money and I'm going to change my money story right here and right now. And I will do whatever it takes because I don't want to ever feel like this again. And I think a lot of people feel like their money story is not in their control and it is. And that day I, I changed my life and it's been a slow progression ever since. And since that day, I have read all the books, not all of them, but many of them. I've literally talked to millionaires. I've hired people. I have paid off credit card debt. I now like have CPA firm with backing me. I'm building a six-figure business and I'm doing all these things one step at a time. And that's how you change your story, one step at a time. And you decide you're no longer going to believe that lie. And for me, the lie was, I'm broke and I'll always be broke. Well, that's a lie. That's a story that's not helpful or empowering. So how can I change mine? Hey, my name's Otis Gray, host of The Daily Book Club, a daily podcast where I read wonderful old books one chapter at a time. Simple as that. 
Whether you want to get engaged and lost in a fascinating story that has stood the test of time, or just relax to a good book, listen to The Daily Book Club to get wrapped up or unwind during your day. We'll read classic stories like Pride and Prejudice, The Enchanted April, The Wind in the Willows, beautiful stories all told from start to finish. And you can even do a real book club. Tune into the Daily Book Club Discord and discuss the readings with other book club listeners. However you want to listen, it's your choice. Subscribe to the Daily Book Club on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and everywhere else. New episodes every single day. So sit back, relax, and get lost in the Daily Book Club. Talking about money is hard. You know this already. All over the world, people are taught to never talk about money, politics, sex, or religion in polite company. On 50 Fires, a podcast about money and meeting from executive producers Chip and Joanna Gaines, host and financial conversationalist Carl Richards will remove money from that list by having frank, funny, and often difficult conversations about money, the kind we're all told not to have, with guests from all walks of life. In each episode, Carl will invite a new guest to answer the question, what does money mean to you? Their answers will reveal much more than their attitudes about money, spanning revelations about identity, community, faith, family, and the true meaning of wealth. Tune in to hear deep conversations about money and the meaning it holds in our lives. You can find 50 Fires on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. From Foreign Policy, I'm Rena Nainen, the host of The Hidden Economics of Remarkable Women. Over the past few years, we've looked at how women around the world are changing societal norms to increase their economic power. This season, we're focusing completely on girls, how they're pushing for a brighter, more powerful future, and what the rest of us can do to set them up for success. Join us for stories about girl power, young women who are fighting for change, to give themselves a chance to live a life of their own choosing. That's season six of The Hidden Economics of Remarkable Women, wherever you get your podcasts. You talk about it being this this transformational process that it isn't necessarily like a moment that you arrive at. Like, you know, you, we don't hit this place and we're like, ah, oh, we're everything's great financially. We know everything like I wish, but there, there just isn't that place. And the, the minute you learn something, something else comes in sideways and you're like, oh crap, I got to learn that too, or I got to figure that thing out. So, you know, th- thinking about this kind of lifelong process that that you're on and this journey that you're on. And for those listening, how do they follow in your footsteps? How do they, um, how do they take the the rock bottom and and turn it into a place of transformation. Oh, what a beautiful question! One, it starts with just deciding this second, right now, while you're listening, right now, whoever's listening, deciding that they're not going to live like this anymore. It literally takes that decision. You say, right now, I'm not doing this anymore. I am going to do whatever it takes, and taking a hundred percent responsibility from this point forward. I call it drawing the line in the sand. You have to claim it. You have to say no more. And then you take baby steps. You say, what do I need to learn? What mistakes have I made? You're going to keep making mistakes. So so that's the thing. They're going to keep happening. A hundred percent. (laughs) Yes. But now you're a hundred percent committed to the process. Because maybe before you didn't know what was happening to you or it all fell out of control. But now you've committed. You've drawn the line in the sand. So you have to just allow yourself 
to stumble and fall and learn to walk in a new direction. And it's not easy. There's the mental part of it, the mindset. Oh my gosh, that's a full-time job. I mean, working on your mindset about money. I don't think I'll ever overcome that fully. No. <laughs> right? It's like minute it's like second by second for me, honestly. I mean, yeah. If anybody else can go minute by minute, I applaud them, but I'm second by second. <laughs> yeah, same. I, I I think that's well said for sure. Second by second. It starts in the head, it starts in the heart. You got to really believe you are worthy of money and abundance. You are worthy of creating a new life. And then you take action in knowing that you are worthy and that you are capable. And that is the foundation is actually believing you can do it. And then you don't stop. You just keep going. Now I have seven actual practical tips, like things like, you know, put 10% away of every dollar that comes your way. But it really starts at the head, the heart, and then your wallet and choosing that this moment is the moment you change and choosing that over and over again. So that's the other thing, like every day or every second of the day saying, no, that was my past. I am building a new future. I am writing a new story. I'm doing it right now, one step at a time, one action at a time, one choice at a time. So I know we've only gotten to like three or four of the money myths. So we're saving a special one for the end. But, you know, I'm wondering if there are like just a couple others that you feel like okay, we absolutely have to talk about these. So for me, I think one of the myths that really stems from the American dream is that a college education is a necessary step in being successful. And this myth has been carried with our generation specifically, and it's cost us big time. I mean, I think the yeah, average time. <laughs> the average student loan debt's like thirty thousand or twenty seven thousand dollars that people are paying. And a lot of people go to college and graduate and end up changing their entire career path or weren't weren't even interested in the thing that they wanted to. And I think that pressuring people, this pressure, that you leave high school and that this is the choice that is necessary to be successful has led people to being 18 years old and going into agreeing to go into massive amounts of debt. I mean, when I was 18, I said, okay, I guess I'm going to take on this loan. Um, believe- but we don't even know. Yeah. I mean, we, I don't, I don't even think at that age, you, you you don't even like you just don't even understand and it it also feels like what you're supposed to do mm-hmm. which is very crazy in itself right yeah that's the the myth part that's so fascinating it's like the story that's so enculturated so deeply embedded in us like our parents are like you have to go to college there's no other way well here we are in 2023 there's definitely other ways i mean you can watch youtube videos and learn a high income <laughs> skill set that will actually make you a lot of money uh, you don't have to go to school. And so I think allowing ourselves to take the pressure off of encouraging our own kids or our, the next generation to go to college. What if we were the one generation that began to say, it's okay, choose another path. And that for, for me, that's how you flip the script. You say they're focus on purpose, passion, skills, and don't focus on academic achievement as much. I mean, I love school. I love academia. I'd be at school all day if I could. But do I regret taking out debt 
to get a college education that ultimately didn't pay off? Yes, I regret it. And I think many, I think many people regret their decision. And it is harmful to us. 26 million people ask for loan forgiveness because they're walking around almost 40 years old with all this debt. So what if 26 million people spoke out and said, this money myth, this lie that we have to go to college, it's a lie. Like this, this did not help us in any way. Now, some people, I want to say the thing about myths and all of this is there's always an exception to a rule. You know, there are people that become lawyers, they pay off their debt right away, but there's also doctors who can't get a residency and have $300,000 in debt. And then they're like, what do I do now? So, but we, for me, this myth is so harmful in the fact that we're allowing young people to take on such enormous debt. And for our generation, we're carrying it around still. And it's prohibiting us from financially growing. Oh, so painful. And I do hope this loan forgiveness happens because people need to be relieved of that burden. But if it doesn't, we can still flip the script. We can still choose our story and say, okay, what am I going to do about this? How can I, you know, pay for this? What do I need to do to let, to relieve ourselves of the burden of college debt? And I think everything you're talking about really goes into this, this term that you coined that you write under that you're writing your new book, you have a Substack um, that you write under this this bougie broke to financially woke, and I think um, I want I want to hear from you. But for me, like what stands out with that with that saying and that idea is that um, that you have that you have choice, and that's kind of what we're talking about with these money myths, right? It's it's like we can we can get to a point and maybe not know how we got to that point, and that's totally fine. That happens to all of us. But then we have a moment where maybe we could choose something different. And mm. choosing something different is a little bit hard because it takes us out of our comfort zone. You know, starting new patterns and creating new habits and behaviors around money is difficult. I mean, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It's just, it's difficult because it's scary and fraught with so many of these money myths and false beliefs and all of that. But tell us a little bit more about, about this idea of a bougie broke to financially woke. Okay. <laughs> How do we how do we make that transition? Yeah, well, I define bougie broke as champagne taste with a beer budget. You know, uh, it's and how a lot of us got here was taken on student debt and following the American dream. Let's talk about that for a second. I mean, that's how we became bougie broke is that we're trying to keep up with this American dream and we can't afford it. So that's just a side note there that I really, as I was preparing for my time with you, realized it's that's how a lot of us got to bougie broke. And it's also just trying to keep up. It's the idea of keeping up appearances to keep up with the Kardashians and Instagram and the American dream. And we're willing to go into debt for this because we don't know how else we're going to keep up with all of this, this pressure. And it goes back to the financially woke part. And that to me, I define that as being financially awake to your situation and then making a choice. What are you going to do about it? And that empowerment comes through you to choose your story. And you're right. It is difficult to choose a different story. But when are you going to reach the point where you're like, man, my story really stinks. I am so sick of this being my life and it's not working out. Maybe you have the house full of stuff with the credit card debt and you got the job and you're miserable. I mean, that could be you. So what are you going to do about it? Are you going to keep living like that? Or are you going to choose something else? It's all within our power to choose whatever it is. And the only moment we have to do that is right now, the present moment. And so 
choosing to be financially awake to where we are and what we can do about it right now. I love that. I love that. Uh, it's it's a process. And I think that's what's beautiful about what we're talking about here about the money miss is that it's not going to happen overnight, but uh, but you can get there. You can make changes. We've done it. And everybody listening can can do it too. Uh, you know, I know we're saving a very special uh, money myth, one of your very, very favorites to kind of end with. So I would love for you to just kind of tell us about, about this money myth that you really want us to, you really want it to like hit home with us. Yeah. So women, we walk around thinking that we're not good with money, a lot of us, without even realizing it. And what I want to do right now in this moment is to debunk that myth that many admit debunk that myth that men are better at handling money than women. Let me say that again. I want to debunk the myth that men are better at handling money than women. This is actually not a fact. Men and women are about equal when it comes to handling money. Men have more confidence. Women are better at saving. And it is harming us as women to believe this lie. Whether we subconsciously or unconsciously or we're walking around believing that we are believing it somehow. I know it's because it's so deeply, this one goes, runs deep, the idea that we're not good with money. It, it runs so deep for us and we are fighting it every day. You know, we really do have to fight it every day. And women of color, it's even, it's an e that, that bar is even higher. It feels like an impossible thing to jump over, being able to handle money and be good with money. Um, this one is very harmful to half the population, which is women. Yeah, I was just talking to my my husband the other day on a walk when we were walking our our Papawini, and I just had this moment where I was I was like, you know, it. I mean, I feel like it's easy to say it's hard to be a woman, but but mm. I'm like, I don't sometimes know my place, and I'm wondering if other women kind of feel the same way, you know. I'm I'm ambitious, but then I'm told not to be too ambitious. Um, I, you know, I want to make money, but then I know that there are still realities that I'm, you know, probably going to make less money than a male counterpart. Um, you know, it's it's I've never I wanted kids, and then I didn't want kids, then I had a miscarriage, and then I couldn't have kids, and now I'm not having kids. You know, and and that all felt weird to me. And I mean, there's just there's just so much around around money and around kind of our place in the world as women, and you know we're we're told we're given equal opportunities now, but we're really not. I mean, it's just it feels like such a weird place to be in. And I know from from sitting across the table with so many different couples and you know talking about their money situations that yet a lot of times the women are even handling the money in the relationship. And sometimes the men are a little nervous about like admitting that that's happening. And I'm like, what, what sort of world are we living in where, you know, that's how I think deeply ingrained these myths are. And especially this one you're talking about, about now, I mean, it's just, it's so cultural that it feels weird, you know, and awkward. I don't know what the answer is. I'm just kind of rambling here, but, um, but it's just, it's, I just sort of feel like we're in a weird place and I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm wondering like, do other women feel this same way? Absolutely. They do. 
Absolutely. We ask those questions of ourselves every single thing you asked. You know, do I have a kid? Do, do I not have kids? Can I afford this? Can I grow? Oh my gosh, our brain is going like a thousand miles an hour asking these questions. And this goes back to claiming it. I am worthy of having money in my life and I am capable of bringing money into my life. I mean, we really truly need to start believing with such confidence that we are capable of handling money like a white rich man. I mean, we are equally capable of doing this. And You know, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, I just watched a documentary of her and she said the next step to equality is women having money. And this interview was like right before she passed and giving women actual economic equality is really the beginning of women truly having the same amount of power. And yes, we walk around believing this, whether we want to admit it or not. And I, I just had a client tell me that she is in terrible debt right now and that she realized that her dad when she was growing up handled all the money so you know she got money from him he was the source of money for his his wife and his two girls thousand percent i think so many of us can relate to that yeah men are the source of the money right they have it and we have to ask for it we have to be very polite and kind and likable to to get it and she graduated from college and then, okay, now she's set to go fly on her own. And she stumbles and falls and goes into terrible debt, trying to manage it all. And she's walking around with this belief that men can handle money better than me and I'm doing a really bad job. And she's literally living it out because now her money is, a di- you know, it's not, she, you can always recover from everything, but she's having a very difficult time because she has now, allowed this belief to inhibit her and make her feel powerless to change her situation. Because again, money can handle it or men can handle it, not her. So we're working on that, on working on her mindset and her ability to really believe she is capable of changing her money story and that she can handle money. It's just, you know, there's that gap of learning. There's a gap in learning there, uh, financial literacy being willing to learn and grow and make mistakes and invest in women. We need to invest in learning about it and being taught it. That's the thing. None of us graduate from high school or college ever being taught about money yet. It runs our lives. And it is my great passion to teach women how to be financially confident and to remind them that they are capable of so much more because they are. And, um, could you imagine a world where the women were just as rich as the men? It would be so different. How exciting. Guilty as charged. <laughs> I am the first to raise my hand to say that I have believed a lot of these money myths over the years, and I am still recovering from those negative beliefs. So I see you. I know you're right there with me because I've talked to so many of you about your own money myths over the years, and they suck. Sometimes you don't even know they're there. They're kind of like lurking in the shadows of your brain, keeping you from feeling confident in your ability to achieve goals. But they're there, and why not just get rid of them? So I loved Whitney's empowering words in this episode that it's possible to go from what I call a money hot mess to money success. Once you can really call out these money myths and and ditch them behind you, just say, okay, these no longer work for you. If you want to learn more about Whitney or her program, The Money Reset, 
a 90-day program that helps women go from broke and broken to confident, you can go to her website, whitneyannellis.com slash reset to sign up for the program. I will have a link in the show notes. If you enjoyed this episode, do me a favor, send it to a few friends, like tell them, hey, let's all get rid of some of this gunk that's kind of getting in the way. Let's let go of some of these money myths. As always, you can have the show notes for all the links to our episode guests, as well as the sponsors who make this show possible. And I will see you, my friend, back here in a few days for a brand new episode. Thanks so much for being a listener. And I am just so excited that I'm here with you every week and that we get to talk about these exciting topics that hopefully help you feel so much better about your relationship with money.